0: Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. My name is Cade Courtley, and this is Can You Survive This Podcast? The show is designed to teach you techniques that will increase your chances of survival if you happen to find yourself or your family in any life threatening disaster scenario imaginable. Each episode will put you smack in the middle of a new disaster scenario as I challenge my guests to see if they have what it takes to get out alive. Knowledge is power, people. Can you survive this podcast? Hello, my fellow survivors, if you hear the sound of my voice, it means you're still alive and it is my continued mission to keep it that way. Welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. I'm your host, Cade Courtley, and folks, a very, very special guest today. Um, Our guest is a world-renowned American astrophysicist with degrees from Harvard, University of Texas, and Columbia. He's a best-selling author host of several TV series to include the new Cosmos, Possible Worlds, coming this fall on Fox. He's a subject matter on many things to include our universe, and to be duplicitous, he is wicked smart. Please welcome Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil, welcome to the show, sir. How are you today? Thank you.
1: Plus, you seem certain that you have to be alive to hear your voice. You don't know that your voice doesn't go beyond the great beyond <laughs> <laughs> people could be
0: tuning into you from all from other dimensions for all you know <laughs> well that would be great we'd love the subscribers <laughs> <laughs> no but the money doesn't go through the channel i don't think the patreon yeah, yeah. doesn't work right okay. we're okay with free subscribers beyond the atmosphere <laughs> <laughs> there you go well i appreciate you being with us today um you grew up in the bronx tough time yeah. Tough town. The Bronx. How, how does a kid from the Bronx become interested and live his life involved with astronomy?
1: Well, so just to be clear, the uh, my earliest memories in the Bronx were from the housing projects, Castle Hill housing projects. They're always over in the East Bronx. And, but they're, they were middle income housing projects. So they didn't quite have the full up sort of crime and, and, and danger that was the stereotype of housing projects of the era. And then my father's income went above the level of what is allowed in a middle income housing project. Then we moved to a middle class section of the Bronx. So we moved to Riverdale. And so that's it. So it's not so much the hood, all right? But there were still street pressures to, you know, to play basketball, to, to not be a nerd, all right? And so some of the nerdness I had to sort of conceal and some of the athletic parts, I had to boost so that I could sort of hang out with the folks hanging out in the park. But when I went home, I was all nerd all the time.
0: <laughs> well, you were the in high school. You were the captain of the wrestling team. Was yeah, that yeah. The, was that the part that equaled out the as you say the nerd?
1: Well, <laughs> in the nerd yin yang, the yeah, balance yeah, yeah. of of the thing. No, I just I valued being in shape physical shape you know how many push-ups can you do how many sit-ups how many um some of that might have come from my father my father was an athlete um in his day he ran track and field and ran track and so i might have had a little bit of it from that but uh, i'd like knowing what the limits of the physical body could be so i thoroughly enjoyed watching the olympics watching the um uh, we had a poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger on the wall back in right. his Pumping Iron days. Uh, another poster of Bruce Lee, right? So watching what the human body can do and, and and perform, particularly in a self-defense sort of way, that I was intrigued by that. And wrestling was a natural extension of this.
0: You know, I, I loved it because I was a late bloomer. I was the skinniest and smallest kid growing up uh, through high school. And so wrestling allowed me to try and go against somebody who was my equal in size and that's right people loved it people forget
1: or they maybe they don't think about it if you've never wrestled that you pair off in weight categories so everybody can compete in wrestling unlike basketball where you got to be nine feet tall and unlike football where you got to have no neck i mean you know in, in in
0: wrestling so what was your weight how much did you weigh Oh geez. When I was in high school, I did one twenties, one twenty six, and one thirty one as a senior. So oh, you were skinny you can, ass to, I, 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 I was Ooh. like I said, I started drinking milk in college. I I grew three inches and <laughs> and and finally filled out, but wow. I loved it because it is one of the most basic. I mean, back to the gladiator days. It's you versus him. Yep. No weapons, no armor, nothing. Yep. And I'm gonna add something.
1: Takes? I'm gonna add something to that, which is and the I think I'll know the answer, but I'm looking for affirmation here. If you ask anybody who has done sports, what's the hardest sport they've ever done? You'll get all kinds of answers. You'll get rowing or cross-country skiing or or, or marathon. But if they have ever wrestled, the answer is wrestling. That's what intrigues me.
0: So is that the answer for you? Without a doubt. And I had this conversation recently with somebody and they're like, what's the most nervous you've ever been? And it wasn't jumping out of plane into a combat zone and it wasn't diving under a ship. into You, you, you and, jumped out of perfectly good planes before? Is I, I, I did. And some of those planes I couldn't wait to get out of. They were okay. leaking, <laughs> leaking like a sieve. Hydraulic fluid was there everywhere. The most dangerous thing was not slipping and falling, trying to get out of it. So, but uh, I, honestly, the most nervous I've ever been in my life was realizing it's just you him no equipment no team no the backup. purity the purity of it as pure no. as it gets
1: yeah, yeah. And, and if you lo- I,
0: if you lose you lost there it, it is the, no excuses mm-hmm. and do you follow UFC with that mindset of just one guy versus another who's got the best skills
1: so it's interesting uh, to watch what became of boxing. Yeah. Right, because I, I think we got bored with boxing. You know, martial arts was on the rise. You had all these martial arts movies, and it's far more interesting to watch martial arts than just some people punching. And then you just merge the two, put them in a cage, and there you have. <laughs> uh,
0: it's it literally is the, who wanted it the most and who trained the most.
1: Right, right, and you victory. and you know it's authentic because there's like real blood and there's real pain and there's real. Um, so uh, in the early days, I watched it a lot, but then I realized you know I'm not actually that violent, and because in wrestling. If it's done properly, no one gets hurt. You're not actually trying to hurt the person. So I pulled away just as I got sort of softer in my, in my, as when you have kids, you know, your, your, your brain changes and you, you're no longer, I can still see it and think it and feel it. Um, and say, oh, he's got the headlock. Why, why doesn't he twist and turn? Come out. And I can, I can still vicariously feel it, but I don't seek it out anymore. Neil, what scares you?
0: I, Either on a personal level or on a, mm, a universal
1: a, level. Yeah, I'm afraid for civilization. Yeah. Because I know that I, my colleagues, my my community of scientists and engineers, we have the knowledge and power. To, when, I, when I say power, I don't mean muscle power or political power. We just have the ability to solve problems that confront civilization and when you have a rise of communities within civilization that are either in denial of science or rejecting it or or think it's just a uh, something you do if you choose to but i choose to rather believe something else because i don't you don't have that option when it comes to science and i've said this many times the good thing about science is that it's true whether or not you believe in it, all right? And, of course, I'm talking about established, experimentally verified science. So, so what scares me is that we might not have the wisdom as a civilization to become the shepherds of our future that we need to be. And that scares me. And, and, and the fact that I have access to people in this way Right. I can try to train. I can teach them early in the COVID crisis rather than because I don't like barking at people telling them what to do because it's America. People do what they want. But I'll, I'll, I'll enlighten you so that you can choose to do something from an informed position. So I knew people didn't understand exponential growth. So I posted some social media tweets primarily that were. Exercises in getting you to think about exponential growth so that when someone says the virus is only a few hundred today But it could be a thousand next week and a hundred thousand in a month You'll know what that means And you and because we tend to our brain tends to be wired linearly if it's twice as much this week Then it will be you know, you know, you you if it increases by this amount by increased by the same amount next week That's linear thinking exponential thinking is the world of viruses and bacteria and other highly Uh, contagious diseases. So I try to empower you to make decisions you can, that are in the interest of yourself, your family and for society at large.
0: What would you say to, and this is not a new conflict. It's been around for centuries and maybe we're hitting a, a peak, but science versus ideology. And one seems to be beating the other. Is it? Is it a sign wave where it's okay? Where science is okay? Now we're denying it. Now it, I, I mean, I just don't like the trend we are currently in.
1: Yeah, I hadn't ever heard it put quite that way, but that's it's a completely accurate account. So what happens is, just to use more words to describe what you just did in one sentence. <laughs> It's a podcast. We can just add words. Well, I I mean,
0: (laughs) are we currently seeing the fall of the human race because one seems to be taking more importance, or they're the louder voices? This is what I'm getting at. I'm just saying
1: that the moment your belief system is is intractably held relative to emergent truths that are established objectively, then you're not living in reality. You're living in some kind of fantasy world where you what, you what you think is true is what you want to be true rather than what is true.
0: Can they and, coexist? No. Especially not with extremists, right? You, you, you can't, they can't coexist
1: if what you want to be true, if you have the power to declare what you want to be true to be true, even if it's objectively false. Right. So, so if you don't have power, if you're just a citizen, you know, think what you, we live in a free country, think whatever you want, but if what you think is objectively false and you have power over others to enact laws or legislation reflecting what is objectively false, that's dangerous. And that's, those are the, that's the unraveling of a, of, of a democracy an unraveling, ultimately the unraveling of all of civilization. And that's what scares me. That's how you started this. I'm telling you, that scares me.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. Um, do you believe in destiny? Do you believe in a predetermined future? Or do you believe you make your own path or maybe a combination, a hybrid?
1: I, I'm of two minds there. Um, so I allow the possibility that we are simply prisoners of the present forever transitioning from an inaccessible past to an unknowable future. However, that timeline may be pre-existing. okay? And if you had a way to step out of this time coordinate in the same way you, you stand in a room that has a length, width, and height, you can move back and forth along that width, along the length, and you can jump up and down and access points within those three coordinates, you don't have that access in the time coordinate. But imagine if you did, you would then reoccupy parts of your past or occupy parts of your future, but you would not be able to control it because it is a predetermined lifeline basically. So I allow that possibility. And if you wanna call that destiny, then okay. But what I think is more likely is that no, Nothing is predetermined. And for people for whom things go well all the time, they I think they just line stuff up a little better for themselves so that the randomness of luck ends up favoring them. There's a, there's a saying, you know, luck favors the well-prepared, right? Mm-hmm. So so the people where things always go wrong, I have, I have a friend who's like that, that I grew up with. He's always got to, something's always happened. And then I realized life is happening to him, mm rather than he shaping the life that's around him. So that he is, ends up his entire life reacting to forces operating. And if that's how you lead your life, you're, you're on the bottom of a, of a shoe, all right? Trying to get out and you'll never get out. So it means shaping the near term, the midterm, the future term, lining it up. And by the way, most of what you line up probably won't get realized. That's part of the, the effort. And that's why it takes energy to look lucky.
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I guess what I'm hearing is a positive attitude, setting goals and not quitting. Is that I, I, also a part of determining your future your and thing? And let me give right in the spirit of your podcast, okay? Here's some things I do.
1: Can you survive this podcast? Here's some things I do, okay? Um, when I'm crossing the street, I live in New York City. Um, cars don't move all that fast in the street because there's traffic. But nonetheless, if I'm crossing the street and there's a median, okay? Uh, if I get across one half and then I'm waiting to cross the other half, I will stand behind a lamppost waiting for the traffic to stop before I continue to cross on the possibility that the car that I'm standing right uh, next to the lane of jumps the curb and hits me. It's going to have to hit the lamppost first. Okay. Now that takes a, such a tiny amount of, added incremental energy on my part that I just do that every single time when I'm walking in front of stopped cars at a red light. And if it's narrow, I will put my, I will extend my arm, my right arm or my left arm, depending on which direction I'm walking and wiggle my fingertips about two or three feet away from my body so that they will feel the rolling of a car before I otherwise take notice of it. If I have to get out of the way of a car that all of a sudden steps on the accelerator, a little thing, but I do that. What else do I do? Okay. When I'm riding a train, I will sit in the seat that faces backwards. Okay. On, on Amtrak, there's always some seats. There, there are not there fewer of them because they flip the order, but some seats face backwards. Why? Because there are no seatbelts on a train. And so if the train has a head on collision, I am thrust back into the, 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 the chair back. Whereas if I'm facing the other way, you just fly forward and you'll sail down the, down the train, little tiny incremental things to improve the totality of my life's chances of surviving into old age.
0: And you talk about, I, I preach to people about this all the time, situational awareness and doing those little things.
1: Yes. Yes. And can I tell you what started me on this? I read a book called Dear America. These are letters home from Vietnam that were collected into a volume. And the letters not only from loving parents to their 18-year-old son, but letters back from the field. And you you hate to read to the end because then it says KIA. You know, you don't know yet while you're reading it until you get to the end and you find out whether they're even alive. One of them talked about the power of the um, AK-47 and, of course, the M-16, the high-velocity uh, bullets. This the, Vietnam was like the first war where very high velocity mm-hmm. um, uh, projectiles from guns were used, and this maximizes the kinetic energy of the projectile. And if that energy gets deposited into you, it just rips you apart. One of them described it as like being uh, hitting a bug with a chain with a chainmail. All right, this is the the effect that these bullets can have on the human body. What he said was that the radio guy. This is the guy who holds, okay, you know, your younger audience, I have to describe this, right? The guy with the, who, who could communicate back to headquarters, back to, to camp, is carrying a radio on his back. You know, it's the size of a what? of like Like a car radiator or something, and it's got right. a huge antenna. And what the guy said was, the guy with the radio can survive an extra bullet in the back because the bullet has to destroy the radio before it gets to his flesh. And I thought to myself, the fact that they're even thinking this way, oh my gosh, that the little increment that that gives you on the battlefield, that the radio guy will survive that one extra bullet that others won't. And when I read that, I said, is there anything I can do in life that gives me just that little increment of survival um, and so I've accumulated them. And they're, they're small. I'm not going out of my way here. They're small, but I do them with this in mind.
0: Well, I tell you what, Neil. Um, on that though, there's the flip side to it. I spent a lot of time doing a very dangerous job, and if you get in your head too much about it, you become combat ineffective. So I should be dead about 20 different times right now. I get the opportunity to speak with you today, but that one inch to the right, that one second too slow. And I'm not here chatting with you. But so maybe that's the division between situational awareness, amazing training, the right gear. And then just, I had to give myself up to the fact that this is the job I've chosen. And if that one day I'm too far to the right, then that's the way it's going to be.
1: And, and this is why you asked, I guess, a little bit about destiny. Is there, yeah. you know, what what's in your destiny? Is it is it there? I think we like thinking about destiny. Uh, we we, we want to believe there's something, else in charge and generally when people speak of destiny they only speak of it in positive terms all right it's my destiny to be great or to have <laughs> this or to have survived that battle or to have survived you know you're in a bad car wreck i survived the car it's my destiny to now teach about seat or whatever so uh, destiny could easily go the other way but no one thinks about it that way so you know if you're dead because you were one inch to the right of the bullet and that was your destiny, you don't write the book about that having been your destiny because you're dead, right? Right. So the very nature of forces that take away lives subtracts away the books that would have been written by people where death was their destiny rather than survival. This is the same thing with cancer survivors who took herbal cures, right? There's proven non-effective herbal cures that some guru in some corner talks about and then they and, and then they take the cures some cancers. We don't un- fully understand okay, and so You'll you'll die from most of it. it's been in some cases people get better and we don't actually know why If you happen to have been taking that herb at the time you'll write that the herb cured you Okay, there are people who took no herbs who did everything ever that everyone said and they get better Okay, or they don't get better. My point is it's very simple it's If you survived, you're going to write a book about whatever you were doing at the time that you survived it and believe that that was a cause and effect.
0: But you know, you just, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. You know what you just touched on though? What? Ideology and science. For some people, the science saved them from that cancer. Maybe somebody has an incredible leaf system and they took that, they ate that grass and made a tea out of it. They're convinced that's how they got through it.
1: Well, so what you're describing is the placebo effect, which is a remarkable phenomenon in the human body that if you think something will help you, then it actually does. So for me, all the, all this research on cancers, they should take a big chunk
0: of it and just research the placebo effect. <laughs>
1: because If we could just exploit that, <laughs>
0: right. we wouldn't need any medicine at all. Or maybe um, that posi- power, positive, you know, thought, I don't
1: know. No, but the way, the way I would, credit science for getting better from what might otherwise be a terminal illness is I would look at the data data says if you take these pills or you go on this radiation regimen 90% of people are cured or live another 10 years and then I become one of those who live another 10 years that's the convincing evidence of that for me the data that's on it so that's why I would know to credit science or not for something that that happened.
0: Did you ever imagine that your passion for science and astrophysics would lead to a life of fame and fortune? No. Or was I, I, it the passion, I, like the passion will make me, give me everything I want? I don't, no, I don't,
1: I, I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't. <laughs> uh,
0: it's not so bad though, uh, <laughs> is it?
1: It's not so no, bad. No, 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 no. No, if I had a bumper sticker, I'd, say I'd rather be in the lab. Okay. Uh. So, so the, my Passion is to try to understand that which has yet to be learned or known, on the frontier of science. That's my passion. The fact that I share some of this with you, I I take some joy in that and some pleasure if you take pleasure in it. But that's not my goal in life. My goal is not to make you scientifically literate. (laughs) That's I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) That might take some time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But how? However.
0: This gets me
1: back to a, a cheap plug for Cosmos. So watch how this unfolded. Um, as we remember, Carl Sagan hosted the 1980 Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was co-written by Ann and, and a, a colleague of mine, Steve Soder, mm-hmm. who actually works in my department in New York at the American Museum of Natural History. Um, so here, here's, here's how that unfolds. You it's, you know, 35 years goes by, where's the next Cosmos? What happened, was it, was it a one-off? And I was approached by Ann Druyan, who's Carl Sagan's widow. I said, would you like to host Cosmos? And I thought to myself, no, really. There are plenty of people who want to do that, who, would, who live for that, who want to be TV star. And I don't need, if they wanna do it, they should do it. But then I thought about it and I said, you know, I knew Carl Sagan, and he had this particular influence on my life that sure. was without equal among others. In my encounters with him, and so I thought to myself, you know, I think I could make a unique contribution as host of a of a of a rent, of a rejuvenated cosmos. And only when I arrived at that conclusion did I say, "Okay, I agree to do this because I think I can do it uniquely." So here's my point. I think what I do, I do on the premise, however delusional it is, that I can do it uniquely. Because the moment someone else can do it, I don't need to, I'll do something else. I'll find something else to do, right? Where no one else, where nobody is doing it. Imagine if everyone in the world did something unique for the world. Because everyone comes from a different place with a different understanding. And, it, and everybody can contribute in some unique ways to this world. If everybody did so, that would be the full realization of people's interests and talents in this world. And that that I, I, that's a utopia
0: that somebody should be striving for. Finding what they're best at and then Correct. Contri- contributing to the greater good. Correct. So I, I arrived at the conclusion
1: that if, I did not tweet this idea, if I did not write this book, if I did not host this show or this podcast, then I would be irresponsible to the to the arc of society, to, to whatever the arc is that can take society where it is to where it can become more scientifically literate. I'd be irresponsible for not being in that arc. So that's how and why I do it. It's not because i want to be famous or i want money or it's, that's not the driver at all and so like so i i joke however delusional this might be I, I joke with people and i say i can't wait for the day where there's plenty of other science communicators out there and that number's large and growing by the way where there's so many that i can just sort of fade back step out the back door and go into my lab and then years later people will say well didn't, what didn't Neil Tyson used to be? Oh, yeah, that was long ago. We got all these other people. Let's keep going. That would be, then my work is done.
0: I don't know a whole lot of people that are, I'm passionate about being famous. That amount to shit. So keep doing what you're okay. doing, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There are th- There are thousands of people that can stand in front of a camera and read dialogue. There are this many that bring what you bring to the table and then present it in an amazing and really articulate way.
1: Well, thank you, thank you, and I, I and I will keep doing it as long as I believe that I can do it uniquely. And but I want to train others to come up. I've spoken with colleagues of mine. I've seen them on. They've interviewed on the evening news if they about the comet or about. And I've had them. I've invited them, and we go over a minute by minute moment by moment, their interview, there's only, they only last a few minutes. And we say, well, you, you could have smiled here, but you didn't. And in a smile, you bring someone in, uh, your eyebrows didn't move the entire time. This means you're not feeling any emotion. You can move, you know, at least, you know, look interested. Those who are only listening, I'm I'm moving my eyebrows right now. (laughs) So, so uh, look like you're enthusiastic, even if you're not, but I know you are, you're just not expressing it. Right. And when you get up to the microphone, don't say I'm thrilled to be here today you don't tell someone oh. that. You, you 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 if you are thrilled that will be manifest within you and if you can't do that then get out of the way for someone else to be able to display this and so so i've worked with and by the way you know alan alda from certnash he co-founded a center at the state university of new york at stonybrook uh, a graduate center designed to train graduate students in science on how to communicate and it teaches them improvisational skills that actors go through, so that not only do the words communicate, but their face, their arms, and their bodies, and their legs. Because good actors, their entire body is involved in the communicating. So so I, I'm not alone in recognizing this need. And uh, plus, there's a chance that if a scientist who's trained communicates, more, they're more likely to get the facts straight. Than it being filtered through a journalist or someone else who doesn't have the background to then communicate it.
0: Well, if I was producing your show, I would tell those people to shut the hell up and leave <laughs> you alone and let <laughs> let you be you. But that's that's my two sons. Okay, <laughs> I would oh, but love. These tend to be large collaborations, so oh, I, I the more complicated there's, than there's that, a yeah. lot of money on the line and etc. And mm-hmm. and you could basically say, all right, well, why don't you do my job with what I have upstairs? Go for it and cut. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I am fascinated by the space program. I've always been fascinated by the space race, the Mercury Seven astronauts. I, I I love it. If I could switch places with anyone right now, I would want to be one of those first seven. And really, um, wow! Without a doubt, the I right just, stuff. I mean, they they just the the courage and just the rawness of the science at the time and the incredible. I mean, that was a very, very dangerous thing these guys signed up for. And the scientists, oh, yeah. there were so many unknowns back then. They were, tr- they were probably learning on a daily basis what. There were there were things, for example, they didn't we didn't know
1: for sure whether you could swallow in space. Yeah, I mean, there are things you know. There, there is in your circulatory system. There are these sort of pump actions that can move blood and things even against gravity, but we weren't entirely sure would the blood build up in one place versus another that would the valves get confused, the pumping actions of your arteries. Um, So yeah, we didn't know would your, you know, would your circulatory system explode or not? I mean, there there was, there was so many unknowns and that's hence the the concept of the right stuff. That that was an aptly titled novel, but um, book.
0: I mean, just asking this guy, Hey, we don't know if this is going to blow up, but, you have a uh, first-class ticket up there. Right. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's insane. I, I love well, it. Well, you know what it is? I,
1: it's it's if it doesn't blow up, you're a hero, and if it blows
0: up, you're dead, All right? <laughs> so, right, yeah, and then you're a posthumous healer. healer no, literally. yeah, you're a dead hero. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would yeah. rather be a living one or just alive, but how much credit? It's, it's, you know, in,
1: in relevant to that, um, do you know the first mammal in space, you know, what that Yeah, was. But it
0: was a chimpanzee, right?
1: No, 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 no. Oh, right. was it before it was that? Was it Russia scent- the dog? That's the right. Russians sent the dog. That's right. Laika. Okay. Now here's the thing. Uh, where did they get Laika? It was a stray dog. I'm told there was a stray dog in Moscow. Okay, they just picked it up. No one would miss it. Put it in the capsule. They gave it some training. You can train dogs to do some things. And but they did not have plans to bring it back. It was going to just burn up in the atmosphere. So you read—you don't read as much about that fact as the fact that a dog went up into space. Yeah,
0: P- Peta would be over in the Soviet Union right <laughs> exactly. now, just screaming and yelling. But yeah. so
1: here's my thing. Here's, so we can be sad about that, okay? Because the dog did not control its destiny. However, if you're a stray dog, okay, how would you want to die? Right? Do you want to just starve in an alley or freeze to death in a Russian winter? Would you want to burn up in the first time any mammal has ever been put into orbit? I, I mean, Leica is now more famous than Lassie, okay? and and Balta. so so if if you knew you were gonna die and live a crappy life in the, and I then you can be a famous dog, I'd be the famous dog with a shorter life. That's what I would do.
0: How much impact do you think President Kennedy had? on the space program? And was it lasting? So, uh, I wrote a book
1: called Space Chronicles, Facing Mm -hmm. the Ultimate Frontier. But that wasn't the original title of the book. The original title was Failure to Launch, The Dreams and Delusions of Space Enthusiasts. And the editor said, no, we can't have the word failure in a title and delusions. (laughs) So they nixed the entire thing. In that book, I highlight what you think is true about our space program versus what is true, okay? So you can ask, how important was Kennedy in this regard? I would say he was one-tenth as important as people remembered him to be, want him to be, or think he was. About one-tenth. His famous speech? We will put a man on the moon and return him safely to earth. By the way, that, that, before the decade is out, that phrase, which was from a speech he gave to a joint session of Congress is chiseled in the granite of Kennedy space center, Florida, next to a bust of him. You go in, that's what you see. Okay. There it is. And so you say, Oh my gosh, back then we had leaders and then, and we had political will, excuse me in that same speech, you know what else he said? He said, if the events of recent weeks, this is in May, uh, end of April, early May, 1961. Uh, He says, if the events of recent weeks are any indication of the impact of this adventure on the minds of men everywhere, then we need to show the world the path of freedom over the path of tyranny. He didn't even utter the man's name, Yuri Gagarin, Mm -hmm. Russia, our sworn philosophical, cultural enemy, technological enemy with the whole ideology that rejects God. They're all atheists over there. We're God- loving God-fearing Americans and they beat us into space. Oh my, we lost our shit, okay? And and so so he's saying, let's go to the moon, but the people writing the checks, They're not saying, oh, we're explorers, we're discoverers, it's DNA. No, they're saying we don't want to be communists. Let's remember the red scare that was around coming out of the 1950s. So if Russia puts somebody in orbit, we're going to put somebody in orbit, and we don't need a charismatic president to tell us that. If Russia says they're going to put somebody on the moon and have the new high ground, we're going to put somebody on the moon, and you don't need a charismatic president to tell you that it helped that he was charismatic and good looking at, and by the way he's assassinated so now you got to you got to yeah. you got to make sure you do it in the decade because that's what he promised okay so that might have helped the timeline a little bit he set it up to happen within the decade by the way in the decade meant had he served two terms we would have done it under his watch okay that's important political oversight that doesn't always get remembered okay you can't promise something in your term and then you get elected out of office, somebody else gets elected. Do they have any obligation to follow through on your plans? You know, the no. So a lot of ideas come and go simply by changes of leadership. What I'm saying is, Kennedy, um, we love rehearing that speech, but we were afraid. And fear, it's a greater force than charisma.
0: Yeah. Well, he did plant the seed and it was No no be... Russia planted the seed. Well Russia is, put up the point. first
1: satellite. They put up Sputnik. Ask anybody alive when Sputnik was launched. Kennedy is not even in Congress yet, or he just got into Congress, okay? Um uh, ask how people felt at that time. Russia put up the first satellite, the first non-human animal, the first human, the first woman, the first black person who was a Cuban, dark-skinned Cuban. That Russia was kicking our ass at every one of those turns. And so we, need, we needed a goal bigger than it all. And so we said, we're going to the moon. Let me rephrase
0: that. He planted the seed for America uh, as this is what we're going to try and do. And it was one of the last times I can remember sort of a national, oh, we're all in this together. And it's a goal that nobody can really object to. But I agree It's with- a
1: goal because we had an enemy.
0: Yes, yes. Without in the history- enemy,
1: we're not going anywhere. Yep. Without the without the without Russia as an enemy, there's no obvious reason why anybody would have been to the moon today.
0: That's a but, good point. But, I mean, every every good Western needs a bad guy, and I guess you need the we, bad guy. We took that blueprint. I want to stick with the space program, but I, I want to talk about your most recent book here, and it's Accessory to War: The Unspoken Alliance Between Astrophysicists and the Military. And I love this quote that you have here, or a, basically a section from the book, and it. I think. I want to ask you about the space program regarding this. The universe is both the ultimate frontier and the highest of high grounds, a sh- is shared by both scientists and space warriors. It's a laboratory for one and a battlefield for the other. And the question I want to ask you regarding that, which again is your latest book, I think it's your 15th, is that a prime example of what's going on right now between the United States Space Force and the private companies like SpaceX is one, the warrior, the other, the scientist. Can they coexist? Do they need to? Do they have different goals? What are your thoughts? Okay,
1: that's a great question. And so let me let me unpack it a little bit and put yeah, some, new, some
0: some some nuance there.
1: The, that quote, and thanks for picking out that quote. By the way, for those who can't see the book, it's a, it's a really fat book. It's it's not just for afternoon reading like some other things I've written. Uh, and that one I have a co-author, Avis Lang, a longtime editor. Um, who was fascinated by the topic and we worked together to put that book together The book was 10 years in the making by the way It happened to come out around the time trump was talking about the space force mm-hmm. So people said oh you came out with a book just in time for the space force." this this book <laughs> It's like you don't write a 600 page book on a lark A okay? oh, weekend, weekend project <laughs> <laughs> Not how that works right. But it's, it chronicles the two-way street between Scientists specifically astrophysicists And military conquest because we typically are thought of as sort of humble mountain dwellers waiting for light to reach our telescope and taking the the disc drives into the lab and studying it. Yes, we do do that. And by the way, most of us are liberal Democrat anti-war, but we nonetheless recognize that there's things that the military care about that can help us do our work. And the things we have cared about, that can help the military do their work. If there's a fast moving object and we want multispectral imaging of it in space, we care about that and so does the military. Right. <laughs> so there's Absolutely. strongly, strongly overlapping technologies. And that relationship has existed ever since the beginning, ever since there's been military conquest. So, but getting back to your point, I don't see private enterprise as that. Private enterprise will have the chops or the resources if paid by the government to create the ships that'll get people into space, okay? And that's not a new development. That's not new. Uh, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, uh, 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 Northrop, uh, Grumman, many of those companies have have merged since the old days. But that's basically the space industrial complex, and they've been with NASA since the beginning. The difference is their names were not on the spaceships. On the spacecraft, it said USA, and you had the American flag. The difference today is NASA says we don't have a way to get to the space station. Who's got a rocket to bring our astronauts. And then Elon Musk says, I've got a rocket. (laughs) So now we launch astronauts in Elon Musk's rocket. And the rocket says SpaceX on it rather than USA. That's a commercial business model Mm -hmm. that still taps tax money for it. And if you really want to think of a future of space where space Program becomes a space industry. Ideally, it would be all monies that have not that are not traceable back to governments. So you'd have tourism, mining operations, this sort of thing. And so that could be in our future. Now, about uh, uh, the, the militarization of space, space has been militarized since the beginning. We've had spy satellites since the ni- early 1960s. This is not something new. And people talk about space lasers and space bombs. There's nothing less efficient than dropping a bomb from a satellite, okay? (laughs) When you can send a a ballistic missile and hit any place on Earth within 45 minutes, okay? That's the longest it'll take to reach any place on Earth from the launch point. So that's not how space is going to take place. Space is a a platform of reconnaissance, like what the GPS satellites are. They're paid for by the U.S. Air Force. Then we found a commercial way to exploit that, and then the air force said we can't turn it off now cuz uber exists on on, on and, and tinder they both exist and require <laughs> <laughs> no had had, had had the had the designers of gps known how really clever people would be exploiting the data i, I, don't, I don't wonder what the, they would have continued with it but anyhow so so the military is devu- developing the next generation gps giving the previous generations over to commerce and industry and that's fine but now so it's not who's punching who, it's suppose China wants to disable our GPS satellites in whatever way, you know, send uh, radiative signals to it or physically destroy them. That puts our service men and women at risk on the ground who are getting intel from space. In fact, the second Gulf War was enti- almost entirely enabled by, uh, by space assets. Oh, absolutely! Smart bombs. It was well, all of that. That's yeah, I mean- how you know where anything is at any given time. So, it's, so, so a space force is not just are you are there laser weapons in space? It's are you protecting our assets? And the military has assets, and we have assets. It's the GPS. It's it's weather satellites. It's um, uh, there's their entire industry. It's, it's communications. Entire industries depend on this for commerce and commerce is an important part of what we do as citizens of the United States. So you would want a space force to protect that as well as do anything else you would expect or want it to do. So I don't, did I I answer your question? I I think so. I guess what I was
0: getting at, you absolutely did. They almost need each other to exist. I could not have done my job in the SEAL teams without science. Can science do their job without security?
1: Well, yeah, there's some science that could exist without it. I mean, if you are a botanist sure. and you're looking, you know, that there, there aren't many security issues unless there's some plant that exists behind some, across some national border that where there's security issues. Um, and, are we but, talking
0: about marijuana already? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: we can go there. We already talked about Tinder <laughs> and satellites.
1: <laughs> um, but I think what you're really talking about is the freedom to do science or the freedom to do whatever you want. That's that's a freedom promised in our own country and in other free countries of the world. And the if there are forces that want to stop that, you would want and expect a military to protect those freedoms. This is a normal sure. state of, of existence. And this is very different from how so many military forces have been used historically. Okay. In the UK, they didn't have the and the Spanish Armada and all and they didn't have their their military just to protect their security, they had their military to go out and basically conquer the world, colonize the world. So there are many objectives leaders can have for what they do with their military. But I'm saying that a free and open exchange of information and the free conduct of scientists to research uh, interesting problems, that there have historically been forced to try to squash that and you want to defend against those forces.
0: Neil, I want to do a red pill, blue pill thing with you. Okay. Okay. Dr. Tyson, you get to be in charge of the United States Space Force or SpaceX. Do you take the red pill or the blue pill? You only get one. Ooh.
1: Yeah. Well, no, wait, I, I'd be wealthier if I were ahead of SpaceX.
0: <laughs> well, what what's more important to you? Uh, so what what's the choice again? You are in charge of everything that has to do with the United States Space Force, who just got their new logo, uh, Semper Supra, mm-hmm. uh, always above. Or you are in charge of everything that has to do with SpaceX, and you don't even have to deal.
1: <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a tough one. That's almost an equal toss-up for me. But if I had yeah. to pick one, and sure. and one of my options is neither. If 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 if, if neither is not one of the options, no. I think I I think I'd pick SpaceX because the. The military, at the end of the day, is run by civilians. Okay, uh, you know the the mm-hmm. Secretary of Defense is a civilian. They they may have served in the military, but at the time they're serving, they are a civilian. Right. The Commander in Chief of the military is a civilian. It is the President who we as a country elect. So, with SpaceX, they have certain access to media and freedoms to communicate values of going into space and why it's fun and why you might want to do it that the rest of that enterprise does not have. So given my life in the public eye, I would see being head of SpaceX as an opportunity to stimulate interest in science and engineering and to do things that um, a government agency wouldn't have the freedom to do. And then once the public wants to do that, they can decide what the Space Force is and should be. Because ultimately they're responsive to the public. So I would want access to the public. Sure. So to make you, this happen. You,
0: the, the freedom vice of bureaucracy almost is kind of a no brainer now that yeah. you said it that way as well. So yeah, yeah, if you got a phone call tomorrow, Elon Musk says, would you like to go up on the next manned flight? And it's going to be in about a month. Uh, Yeah, so I've joked with him. I I mean, I know the folks at Fox would be like, hell no. We got a new show coming out in the fall. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm I'm sure their insurance people would be on it. Yeah. So the show's already in the can. The show's already
1: in the can, so they can kill me. They can kill me. I'm irrelevant now. (laughs) So I've joked with him about this before. I said, I'm not going up on one of your spaceships until you send your mother Ah, bring her back successfully. Maybe she'll be your (laughs) co-pilot. (laughs) <laughs> then I'll go up. Uh, then I'll consider it. So I, I have. I don't think they brought back those two astronauts yet. That not yet. W- not went yet. up in his Falcon. So, um, so when they do, that'll complete. They're not his mother, but they they would count here, and that would complete the, the safety and security of that. And then I would. Then I'd consider it. Yes.
0: Do you think you will ever be in outer space in your life?
1: No, no, because it's not a priority for me. Okay. The re- reason why is, okay. And reason why is uh, we think of space as you know an orbit around the Earth and there's a space station. The word space is bandied
0: about frequently,
1: but you can ask, well, how high up is the space station orbiting? And where do you live right now? Where where are you doing this podcast? I'm around? talking
0: to you from a uh, Denver, Colorado, right
1: now. Denver, Colorado. So how far is Denver from um, Aspen?
0: Hundred miles. A little bit miles. more, maybe 120.
1: 120. Okay, so. Take twice that distance, and just go straight up. That's the distance to the International Space Station. So if you want to understand that in the context of a schoolroom globe, the space station would about a foot across, a, a space station would be orbiting 3 8 of an inch above its surface. I'm an astrophysicist. That's not space. Even though everybody, NASA included, calls it sure. space. Space to me is the moon, Mars, beyond. If you're going to send up a spaceship and has a destination that's not just driving around the block, boldly going where hundreds have gone before, then then sign me up. Otherwise, I'm I'm not in a hurry. What I'd rather, what I want to do, is experience weightlessness, and I don't have to go into orbit to do that. You can go on one of those vomit comets, and so that that's on my list. I would do that. I would totally you ever, do that.
0: Do you ever hop out of a perfectly good airplane? Never. Free fall is pretty fun.
1: <laughs> we only free fall for for like less than a minute until you hit yeah. terminal velocity yeah. against the, against the air. But uh, yeah, it's free fall is being weightless. And so sure, except your free fall at the end, you are a pile of goo on the ground. <laughs> if your parachute doesn't open, whereas in the vomit comet, it goes into a free fall yep. parabolic trajectory and then it pulls out of it. <laughs> okay. Right. And, I, and I'm alive to talk about without a parachute. And a barf bag full. Yeah. I would, I would try to (laughs) practice that first. Yeah.
0: Is there, was there, or is there a firmly held belief that you had that you were forced to abandon based on new evidence in your lifetime?
1: No, it's not how I run my life. It's not how to say forced to abandon. Like it's your, your, Uh, like you're holding on to, you had to seriously reconsider, I guess. Yeah, no, in in the face of evidence, of course, it happens all the time, Uh, all the time. And the things that I thought were true, because everyone thought they were true, and then we did more research and found out that it wasn't true. So that's one category. Another category is I thought it was true, but I hadn't really done my homework on it. So I was just wrong, even when I thought it was true. So that's just, then you just got it wrong. Okay, that's that's another category. There Another one is, you don't want something to be true right. and you, and you got to believe this even though and you can you're kicking and screaming all the way and then you finally and then you're sad. No, I've, I've never been that way. No, it's to me the world is. Is an intellectual playground and you're learning things every day. If the day goes by where you don't learn something, that's a wasted day. And and if a week doesn't go, doesn't go by when your mind isn't blown by some fact, that's a wasted week. So these are the manifestations of curiosity that we all have as children carry them into adulthood and still be curious Then you're still learning things every day and you're still getting your mind blown by new stuff What's that song by Alice Cooper? um Schools out forever (laughs) Schools or for the summer, you know that song. Yeah, okay. Um, that's an anthem for the last day of school on the premise that Somehow learning in school was a chore when your only job is to become enlightened, and that was a chore. So now you don't have to learn anything again anymore. Toss your notes in the air. School is out forever. And you're celebrating this. That is the opposite of curiosity. If you are that, that person will have a strongly held belief, will later learn that it's false, and they'll be upset by it. But if you remain curious your whole life, you are delighted to have information overthrown that you once thought was true.
0: Well, I think school was out for Alice Cooper like in the eighth grade forever. So, but I hear you. It was it was a good song, but it, it it's is good. What it it's, is. A, it's an anthem. It's an anthem <laughs> it in the
1: moment. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm. I'm academically criticizing the song, but it's a
0: great song. I hear you. Right. I hear you. Do you? Do you have a bucket list with a couple items on it left? Yeah, I do. I do. I'd love to hear what they are. Maybe two or three. Yeah. So one of them is to be weightless
1: for some okay. sustained amount of time. That's in there. Uh, I. You know, I want to go to the top of Mount Everest, but I don't want to do the work required to make that happen. Just airlift me to the top of Mount Everest, just so I can look around, and just so I can feel what that's like, just at the top. And maybe not, does not have to be Everest. Just the high, the top of a very tall mountain on a clear day at a clear sunset. So maybe it could be Denali, which is a. It's not as high as Mount Everest, but. It is very high compared to other mountains in its zone. So you have very good visibility um, to the horizon. Whereas K1 in in the Himalayas is, it's just, it happens to be the one that's slightly taller than K2, the one on the left rather than the one on the right. So it doesn't stand out the way this does. So so that's one. Um, I'd like to visit another cosmic object, uh, visit the moon or Mars, but that's not a realistic bucket list because I'm getting older and we're not getting any closer to Mars with human missions. So um,
0: what else? Uh, do you feel like Mars is the right priority long-term right now for what we have going on with our space program? Or do you agree with that? Or are you like, uh, I would re I would reprioritize. What do you think? Again, again, you're, you're in charge. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's why I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to tell people what to do. I want to compel them to have it be obvious to them what they want to do. And in a democracy, then you vote for people who will then put that into effect. I don't want to layer my own loves of the universe onto others so that people might have other priorities. And I respect that in a pluralistic democracy. So um, in terms of priorities, I don't think of space as a sequence of priorities, even though I rationally know that might be the only way it can happen. Mm-hmm. I'd rather think of space as a playground. And like think of the U.S. interstate system, okay? When that was built, did they say, where should we build this road to? Let's build it to Chicago, okay? And that'll be it. No, it's like, let's build it everywhere, okay? And then everybody can move wherever they want. So for me, the future space is not, might not be best served by single destinations, but by building the capacity to go anywhere. So you visit the, the SpaceX warehouse and give me three boosters, two, two solid rockets, two liquid rockets, strap it together. That'll get me to a comet. Uh, put this combination together. That'll get me to an asteroid where I'm going to start mining it for its natural resources. I want to do science in the search for life on Mars. That's this combination. And I need a payload big enough to take the laboratory with it. Oh, I want to visit the colony on the moon. That's this configuration. When you do that, then the full creativity of anyone who's thinking about the problem gets manifest, and then all of space gets populated by the range of, of of inventiveness that humans have expressed in
0: almost anything we've been able to be inventive about. You've had a huge impact in your time on this earth. What do you want your legacy to be, or do you I want don't, to think about that?
1: I don't. It's not whether I don't think about it. I don't care. Uh, so in other words, I don't care whether I am remembered. I just don't care. I don't want, I don't, if, if I'm remembered, it, it in part it meant I failed a little at my job. You know, my job, the job I have assigned myself is I'm going to teach you something about the universe where you now understand it on a level where you take ownership of that knowledge and that insight. So that if someone asks you about that subject, your answer is, oh, here's what Tyson told me. No, it's here is what it is and why it's true. And at that point, you, you're, I'm done with you. You can now move on and it no longer has reference to me. The moment people say, do this because Tyson says so. Here's a Tyson quote. Here's a Tyson. Then that's like cult building. And then all of a sudden people just waiting for your next comment when they should be thinking for themselves. So no. And and by the way, I already know what I want on my tombstone. And yes, I want a tombstone and I want to be buried. The tombstone is a quote from the educator Horace Mann and it will say, be ashamed to die until you have scored some victory for humanity.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: That's what I want on my
0: tombstone. I love it. Um, I wanted to. Uh, I want to talk a little bit. Well, since you were you were talking about tombstones, you have one day left on the earth, and you only get one bottle of wine. I know you're a wine enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, so, b- before before we put you under, what 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 bottle of wine is that, Neil? Wow! I know. I know you know your stuff here. Ooh just get one. Okay. This is a
1: tough, this is a tough one for me for an important reason. Um, I drink wine academically. So if I find a really great wine, I don't say, well, oh, give me three more cases of it. No. Cause then I just get bored by the third bottle. Uh, I'd like a different experience each time. Now, of course, good wine will age with time. So you can drink the same wine s- spread over a decade and it will evolve right? The wine is a living thing. So that's what kind of what makes it interesting. The wine you taste in any given moment is frozen in that moment for how old the wine is, how long it's been in the bottle, how it has been stored. And the next bottle, even of the same wine that you open, is at another time. Mm-hmm. And so the wines will be can be fundamentally different. So, So my risk will be Opening a wine I've never had before, but then it might not be good. <laughs> that's my last <laughs> bottle. Right. That's a problem. I would like want a backup bottle for it. <laughs> um, so how about this? If I had a guarantee that the bottle was as great as everyone who has written about it says it was, then it would be a 1945 Domaine de la Romane Conte, Romanée Conte.
0: What's something like that go for nowadays?
1: I think some just was sold recently. Um, might have been a hundred thousand dollars on the bottle. That'd be a good last bottle. If a, yeah, if it's the last bottle, you know yeah. who cares. <laughs> Plus, if you're That's a billionaire, right. what's a hundred thousand dollars?
0: Yeah, have Fox buy it. <laughs> hey, spe- hey, Neil. Speaking of Fox, I want. I grew up watching Cosmos. I loved uh-huh. it. I'm glad it's coming back. I'm glad you're hosting it, uh, folks. It's it's coming out on Fox. Tuesdays this fall, Cosmos, Possible Worlds, hosted by Neil. Talk to us about it. Well, so so first of all, the
1: uh, Fox was going to air it at the same time National Geographic aired it because National Geographic
0: already aired
1: this series back in March, but when Disney, Disney came in and they bought Fox and Fox Studios, they. Fox owned all of National Geographic, so they got National Geographic as like the spoils of the purchase, but they did not buy Fox Flagship. And Fox Flagship, Fox Broadcasting Network, FBN, uh, they also didn't buy Fox News or Fox um, Business. But the agreement was that the two, that the Flagship and Natio would air it sort of together. But once there, once there was that separation then that freed up Fox to air it whenever the hell they wanted. And so they decide they're going to air it not at the same time as National Geographic, but in the fall, which is a good time to, to introduce a series and sure. September 9th on that Tuesday will be the first of 13 episodes. And it's Cosmos possible worlds is the subtitle of it. And when I, and uh, that title was came up with that title. Who's uh, a co-writer of the series. And I, I almost teared. I welled up a little because it was so hopeful. And one of the great signatures of Cosmos, let me even call it its DNA, is that it will share with you a problem we're facing in this world, show you the scientific tools that we have to address that problem and leave you with a sense of hope that with a few steps of wisdom and 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 insights, you can solve these problems and create a more stable uh, civilization going forward. That's cosmos at its best. And every episode has some of that kind of messaging. And it's all sciences. It's not just, it says, yes, cosmos, you think astrophysics, but there's chemistry, there's biology, there's engineering, there's ecology, all of this seamlessly stitched in this tapestry of the world. And what are possible worlds? It's not just, is there an exoplanet that we might visit? There are worlds even underfoot. The mycelium, this network, this, this this network of plant life underground where plants are communicating with other plants that are not even the same species and communicate with animals that are not even in the same kingdom. Uh, when you look at bees in a hive, they look like they're randomly... They look like they don't know what they're doing, but they do know what they're doing. They're communicating distance and time and space to, to, for the next hive. They're, so that's a world. All of these are worlds, and we're so caught up in our own existence that we are blind to worlds that surround us. And that blindness can be our own be, the seeds of our own undoing, because the ecosystem that we are destroying actually sa- it, 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 it sustains us. And if you if you, if you think we are in charge of everything, well, just take a look at the coronavirus and you know we're not, okay? And <laughs> just because you're big and because you have a big brain doesn't mean you're in charge of anything. It's your harmony with, this, with the ecosystem and your ability to stay, to thrive, but not at the expense of other parts of the ecosystem that could later on come and bite you in the ass. So, a uh, Cosmos, I think, is fire on all cylinders. In this way, from the visualizations to the the, the music track, to the the, the scripting and and, uh, and and I try to bring all that I can in, in in my emotions, my knowledge, my voice, so that as as one as one coherent product, it's a it's a conduit for you to not only embrace the cosmos, but to come back to Earth with the cosmic perspectives. So that you can become a better shepherd of our own civilization.
0: I can't wait to see it. I'm really looking forward to it. Neil, we like to do something on this show, which we call the hypothetical survival world. All right. And what I'm going to do, if you want to play, is what we will... I will put you into a hypothetical, life-threatening survival situation. And you will have the opportunity over a series of 10 events. You choose A... Or you choose B. It's kind of like the choose your own adventure books. I don't know if you ever read those. I love. Those okay, things. so wait, wait, wait. But wait, before before I agree to this, let me just, <laughs> let me just <laughs> ask. And it is hypothetical.
1: I, I get it, but let me just ask. Suppose I'm cleverer than you, and I can come up with C.
0: When you will, only thought up A and B, I will is that allowed? You, I will give you this. I am open to. And not an argument, but I'm open to opinion if I say, no, you should have chose A. And you said, but if I did B. So I'm open to that, but we're but gonna. You, but keep, you still want to
1: keep me on A and B, even we're if gonna I have keep, a... We're gonna
0: for this particular thing. We're gonna keep you on an A or a B, and you're oh, gonna. Oh, try but, and, but, okay, yes. but there's only
1: one right answer here. If my survival is what I'm after.
0: That is correct. It's Unless say, I have
1: some deep insight that you didn't have, which is highly a, exactly. unlikely. A, a, on, yes, on your show, yes, that's highly yes. unlikely. <laughs> I am I am
0: willing to listen if I say okay. you should chose A, and you say, well, this is my argument. For why I choose okay. be. So I'm definitely right. open to that. All right, so, let's go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go. Dr. Tyson, here is your hypothetical survival scenario. You're in a taxi in New York, you're heading back to your home. They're in Manhattan. You've just come from a conference and so you it's see... not an Uber. It's not an Uber, it's a taxi. Oh, let's put you in an Uber. Uber, okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. You're in an Uber, heading back from a conference. Well match because the taxi has a border between you and the front seat. Well, and that Uber's is just you, an open car.
0: You yeah. might find that that's going to be helpful, but let's get into your scenario. <laughs> okay. All
1: sorry. right. So you're, no, shut no, up. Go on. no, that's Give all right. The you're in an it.
0: Uber heading back to your home in Manhattan, mm-hmm. just finished up a conference. And all of a sudden to the West, you see an incredibly bright light brighter than you've ever seen. There has been a 10 kiloton nuclear bomb that was in a van that has been blown up. In New Jersey. It is approximately three miles away from your position. Any questions about the scenario? No. Thus far. No. Okay, here we go. With your first choice. A do you tell the cab to start hauling ass, or B, do you tell them to pull over and stop immediately?
1: okay so in new york city traffic is not such that you can haul ass anywhere Correct. so what um three miles you, you can protect yourself from the the radiative pulse because that just comes and goes but then there's the blast wave that comes afterwards and so i'd want to get behind a structure that i felt was pretty secure and would not blow over
0: so oh, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit for this first option oh,
1: oh oh sorry 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 yeah, yeah no that's oh, all right. no you're you're oh, you're on oh, the right track already, I, I would tell which, I, I there's no way there was no way to increase distance significantly in tra- in new york city traffic so i would i would direct the taxi to pull to a, a place that i would
0: designate absolutely you do not want to be in a cab when that blast wave comes or a uber or any vehicle so I'm going to move on to the next one, which you've kind of already mentioned. But, yeah, the bright light, it's going to be followed by a thermal pulse and then an incredible blast wave. And, again, three miles is not that far. All right. That's plus 10 points. I forgot to tell you, for every right answer, you get plus 10 points. For every wrong answer, you get minus 10 points. So oh, max, that's cold. Oh, that's, so that's, that's uh, rough. A, so that's rough. a max <laughs> score of 100 <laughs> is what we're looking for. That's, what I'm, that's right. what I'm going for. Okay. No, you're doing great. So you're plus 10 already. Here we go. Okay. Next, do you run to get inside a building that is about a hundred yards away, or do you take cover by a concrete bench just beside you?
1: Okay, if it's only a bench versus, uh, first you can't run a hundred yards in the time, uh, the blast wave goes at the speed of sound, and uh, the blast wave will get to you before you reach something that's a hundred yards away. So, unless you're Usain Bolt, you know, with <laughs> with rocket sleds or whatever. Exactly. So yeah, you, you you can't you're not gonna outrun a blast wave in that way. So you get behind any any solid thing. And and New York City has concrete benches actually. So yes,
0: definitely Absolutely. Out. And you yeah. you nailed it. You're not going to outrun a blast wave that's been detonated three miles away. So yes, you go ahead and you take cover by a concrete bench next to a thick concrete wall, something like that. Right. All right. Do you curl up in a ball? or do you lay on your stomach?
1: Uh, Ooh, very good one. Let me think. I would lay as flat as I can on the ground um, and that reduces my cross section to the blast wave.
0: You're absolutely right. And there's a couple other things involved with this that I had to learn before we started doing demolition and explosive breaching. There's also the overpressurization you're gonna be dealing with. So if you have the lowest cross section possible, that's excellent. And you're also going to want to cross your legs, put your hands over your ears, and most importantly, keep your mouth open, so you're not going to explode anything inside, like sinuses and lungs, due good one for pressurization. I had not thought about
1: that, but you, you want air to exit your body according to natural pressures that change. Yeah, otherwise you, you break vessels. Yeah,
0: you're, you're just going to blow it. Plus thirty, you're three for three. Keep on the trend, mm-hmm. Doc. Okay. Do you stay put after the blast wave has passed, or do you get away from that building that you've taken cover next to?
1: Um, you don't know what damage has been done to structures because you can have damage where the structure is unstable and then it collapses later. So I would just get away from structures and Absolutely. go in the open field.
0: Absolutely. And the key to that is uh, People that deal with a blast like this or an earthquake, yes, some of these structures might have some damage. The rule of thumb is to get three times away from the height. Mm, So, Let's say the building's Mm -hmm. 200 feet high. You want to be 600 feet away from that. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of unstable buildings and structures given the fact that there's a blast wave that just passed mm-hmm. four for four plus 40. Come on, Dr. Tyson, stay I in should there. Stop now. I'm going to stop now. No, no, you're, <laughs> no, I, I, you're going to see this through and I think okay. you're doing, you're doing great. Right. Okay. So knowing what you know about a nuclear explosion, what happens as a result of a nuclear explosion, are you going to get back into that Uber that you were just in? Or are you going to try and find another older vehicle that happened to be parked nearby if you have an option between getting back into the uber you're just in or an older model vehicle nearby what would you pick and why
1: um oh definitely the older car definitely um and old, are you uh,
0: talking about the effects of an emp well, well two on- two
1: effects two effects hmm. one um the electromagnetic pulse will affect it can affect a lot of things but it'll affect electronics It'll affect like circuitry, mm-hmm. computer circuitry, much more readily than sort of blunt, you know, copper wires around right. uh, things. So, so that's the first one. But second, mm-hmm. older cars had much more mass than newer cars, and so the mass of the metal just is a. Um, uh, if there's any sort of r- any radiation that's still coming, so yeah, definitely. Again, if it's an older car that's still moving, I get in it. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you already described it. A couple other items. Yes. The, the bulk for uh, shielding purposes. Shielding. That's if, the word I was looking and, for. And, yes. and generally speaking, if something, a vehicle, especially a newer one, is running when hit with an AMP, it's fried. Uh, something older that wasn't running when it got hit, there's a good chance that it is going to work. You're halfway home, plus 50 points, five for five. Um, okay. So here's the deal. You know what comes after a blast. Now we're talking about fallout, okay? Now you are three miles from ground zero, which means you are going to have about 20 minutes in the location you are before fallout starts hitting the ground. You look at it and you see New Jersey. You're looking due west and the fallout is coming straight toward you due east. You get this old vehicle started. Do you drive east? Directly away from the fallout, or do you choose to drive north or south? Okay, okay, okay.
1: This is the pr- this is no, the this old is problem. Right, bit, bit. Somebody's running down a hill, yeah. and there's a big uh, a snowball gathering chasing them, and they keep yes. running away from it. Instead yes, of yes. Stepping to the left, or the right. Think of this fallout as an avalanche. Me so much every time I see yes. that in in in, in cartoons. Um, so okay, so no, if it's just one channel towards you, no, you just go north or south, and you you completely out of its own
0: correct you nailed it and the reason being so imagine an avalanche do you just keep going down the hill and we, the avalanche is following you or do you, you make a side. right or yep. left turn right. so yeah for fallout you want to go perpendicular to it to get out of that swath that's the,
1: but that's if it's a swath i mean what you're saying is that the wind patterns or whatever it is are coming straight at you and it's not yes. sort of dissipating in every direction so yes well, and no, clear. And for this particular
0: hypothetical scenario, it is just a swath because there's heavy easterly winds. And just just so you know,
1: um, New York City gets most of its weather from New Jersey. So that's not not a weird scenario. Excellent. Imagine here.
0: Plus 60, again, folks, go perpendicular to the traveling fallout so you can get out of it instead of just Mm -hmm. getting chased by it. Okay. You have hit gridlock traffic which is you already described is a common occurrence, especially when there's some kind of a disaster like a nuclear explosion. So you've only got 10 minutes left before the fallout hits. Are you going to seek shelter or are you going to continue to run in that northerly or southerly direction 10 minutes before fallout starts impacting the surface? New York city is densely
1: enough populated that, you can go pretty far in 10 minutes, and I would I would get out of the car because you don't know about the fate of the traffic going north or south. You just don't know. But you do know when you're on foot how far you can get and what you can aim for. I would get out on foot and look for a garage or someplace underground.
0: Okay, but for this option, you either decide, I'm going to seek shelter right now. I've got 10 minutes left, or I'm going to see if I can outrun it. Outrun it or no, I right now. No, sh- I seek shelter now. Absolutely. What Absolutely I seek, seek shelter because, I mean, this cloud, as you said, can actually just start expanding and growing, mm-hmm. especially with all the stuff that happens with wind in a place like Manhattan with the buildings and everything. Yes, I've got 10 minutes left. I'm going to seek shelter. Plus seven, seven for seven. Doc, come on, stick with me here. All right. With Fallout, you're dealing with alpha, beta, and gamma. Okay. So the alpha and beta, you're going to see it. You know, it's going to look like dust or material. And, yes, it can be deadly, but nothing as deadly as the gamma rays, which will exist for 72, 84, you know, several hours afterwards. So, in your effort to seek shelter, you see a wooden-framed warehouse right there to the right or about a half a block to the left, a 10-story brick building. The hint is gamma.
1: Yeah, so um, gamma rays are readily absorbed by water or other moisture i mean like you can go just underwater and like fish do just fine in nuclear blast it <laughs> turns out <laughs> be a fish if you want to survive um uh wood I mean, unless it's very dry um you know fresh wood is has a lot of water content in ways that concrete does not um think about the shielding that we discussed. yeah i know i'm just trying to think about that uh so it's a
0: concrete building or wood building is that right correct a wood warehouse or a concrete commercial building about 10 stories in height
1: okay um i would think yeah no uh, i wouldn't go in the wood building so concrete needs uh, metal reinforcements within it especially if you're going to go 10 stories so um that will all shield
0: gamma rays. That should shield gamma rays. I'm, I'm going with the concrete. And that's the right, that's the right answer. Uh, because, again, gamma rays have a penetrating force that can be slowed down or stopped by dense materials like brick, concrete, heavy furniture, even filing cabinets. Your primary concern right now is the fallout and specifically over a period of time because you might have to shelter in place for a while. Mm-hmm. You need to find a structure that's going to do the very best to block this gamma rays. Two left plus eighty. Come on, you're going for a perfect score, Doc. Stay all right, in there. All right. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. You get into this ten-story building. Do you gather supplies, or do you strip off the outer layer and try and rinse any exposed area? If I got
1: dusted, I would. I would take off the clothes.
0: First. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I constantly tell people in a survival situation, your priority is the first thing that can kill you. And in this situation, it's not getting hungry and thirsty. It's dealing with the effects of the, um, you know, the radioactive effects. that can Yeah, happen. people forget,
1: you, you can go days without food and water. Absolutely. Um, you can you know. go
0: weeks without food. Right, but, right, right. But you right. are going to start feeling the effects of radiation sickness if you keep that clothes, the clothes on and the stuff that might be in your hair and your face. Did,
1: did you see Chernobyl on HBO? I there was did. a scene where there were people on a bridge watching the explosion in the distance. And then after a while, there was this dust that fell on them. And they don't know what it is. They just see it. And then later on, at the end of the thing, you learn that everyone on that bridge died
0: from radiation sickness. And it's crazy. And they'll, they'll take it and think it's dust and just start scraping it. And you're just embedding it into your mm. skin. Mm-hmm. So, folks, when you're pulling off this outer layer, do not pull it up and over your face. Peel it down and away. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, Dr. Tyson, you have one left. You're looking at a perfect score. So come on. I'm, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you. You're saying I could have lived for the 20 minutes until this point, and now I die. Is that what you're saying? What you're saying? No, you're, I mean, this okay. is it. This All is right. it. Mm-hmm. You have an option. Do you head to the basement or do you climb? Oh, definitely the basement. Definitely the basement absolutely and and again we let's talk about the gamma rays and what you're dealing with there and and any of the fallout if you're moving above ground fallout's going to be on the windows gamma rays are going to be going through windows the basement you are surrounded by earth concrete and it's going to be so much easier to seal it up and make it safe and some buildings still have in their basement the fallout shelter yes yes they
1: they do some they just haven't pulled it down yet you know because it won't
0: matter anymore because you're just incinerated before you ever die from fall. <laughs> it's, it's Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. You have survived and you have thrived with a perfect score of 100 points. Congratulations, sir. Oh, that was thank awesome. You. Thank you. That thank was you. very well done. We'll um, survived that, but it doesn't mean nine other your other scenarios. I'd be able to oh, that's all right. No, we, I figured this would be the perfect one for you, especially being a New York guy. Yeah, um, yeah that, that, it was very nicely... Um, Portrayed. You know, yes. we'd like to do something on this called an after action report in the military. It's basically lessons learned. Do you, did you learn anything from this? I learned a ton. Um, I, I don't
1: spend much of my days thinking about not dying. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, except the occasion where, as I said earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, I reach out to see if the car is getting closer. I'll sit backwards. These are now, almost autonomic, but I think as we go forward, there are more and more ways that you can end up dying, especially as we become less and less responsible as a civilization. So uh, I've learned that it's not crazy to at least begin thinking that way. And uh, by the way, it's not just my own survival, but survival of loved ones and, and just fellow human beings. So if I made that a little more active part of me, it can trigger certain sort of creative solutions to problems that you might not have thought of in the moment had you not considered it in advance.
0: So, do you think you're thinking about your own mortality motivates you?
1: Yeah, as it would, I think, anyone. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the basis of survival, right?
1: Yeah. That, yeah. And <laughs> a- that's what
0: any animal does. Right. To, to I mean, not it's the first die. thing we do when we're born. Stop yeah. Breathing. Yeah. Start that's Surviving. Right. I love it. <laughs> Dr. Tyson, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I really appreciate it. It's well. It's great amazing. to. It's
1: great to meet you and to. Um, Same here. To, to know that you know folks like you are out there just trying to keep us all um, sensible and rational about what it is to not only be alive but to stay alive, and uh, that's a good force to be. I think, and so keep it
0: going. Well, I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this. I did my best to keep up with you. Not not an easy task. You You were awesome. Hey, folks, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, anyone you care about because our continued mission is to save lives. So be a survivor, not a statistic. And be sure to subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Watch us on YouTube or wherever you get yours. Sir, thank you again for your time. It was amazing. We it. You were a survivor and a thriver. This is Cade out. Can You Survive? This podcast is a cavalry audio production recorded live from the bunker in Denver, Colorado. Hosted by me, Cade Courtley. Produced by Brandon Morgan and Cade Courtley. Associate producer is Jeff Apple. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti.